The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Okay, man, I got to tell you, you know, I know me of a little faith or whatever like that, but I, yesterday morning I said to my wife, I said, it's too nice a weekend, nobody's coming to church this week. I'm real happy to see you. I, I was expecting to be very lonely this week, uh, but you came, I appreciate that. John, you forgot to mention the super duper golden pumpkin. Um, so that's all right. Uh, this is the prize for the trunk or treat competition next week. Just in case you wondered why we had a golden pumpkin sitting up here, uh, and I'm just got to get rid of it somewhere, but that would, uh, knowing Dave, he'd start like a, you know, beach ball going around the crowd, and, and we, would have, we would have chaos with that. We are going to not only continue, but we're going to wrap up Revelation this week. Last week, we started uh, into chapter 19, and we got to the Mary Supper of the Lamb, and this week, we get to finish up 19, 20, 21, and 22. So our foot's going to be on the accelerator, and we're going to get to this place where God says, let's put an end to this old earth and destroy this, and we're going to replace it with something totally new. However, before we do that, I have to give a commercial, okay? Just not a political ad, Are you really? <laughs> in case you haven't had enough of those. Uh, but uh, I'm going to give an ad for a Christmas sermon series. Okay, yes, I do know it's only October. And I don't want to be like the stores that start, you know, selling Christmas trees in uh, August or whenever they start now. But here's the thing. I was looking at uh, what we're going to do this year for Christmas series. And, you know, there's different things you can kind of go through and talk about the different characters of Christmas. You can talk about that. You can go through the different gospel stories, whether in Matthew or uh, Luke or in John, and go through and, and look at those. Uh, sometimes you talk about the gifts of Christmas, peace, love, and, and things like that. Um, the other thing that I have done before, which we're going to actually do again, is look from Isaiah chapter 9, where it talks about the idea, the promise of the Savior, and uh, we find the phrase that many of you are familiar with, that He is the uh, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And I want to explain for a second what I believe the Lord used to draw me to this as far as our sermon series for this year. But I have, to, uh, I have to qualify this a little bit. I, I, I've learned I have to be careful. Uh, I want to sometimes let you know, hey, I'm not doing that great today or what, whatever like that. About five weeks ago, I did that. Uh, uh, Francis was gone. I hadn't slept all week very well. I was cranky. I didn't want to come to church. And I kind of said that, but I think I set off the alarms. Like, I think pastor's discouraged and he's quitting. Uh, I really wasn't. I just was kind of cranky, uh, to be honest with you. So, but, so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about, uh, I would say it like this, the couple things I'm frustrated with as far as my job goes. But please do not, you know, Oh, no, or, oh, yeah, or whatever your response is to he's quitting. Please don't do that. Uh, that's not where we're going. I just kind of wanted to uh, talk you through this because one of the things that I run into, and you, and you don't really even need to correct my thinking. I realize that this is kind of a carnal thinking here. God has already pointed that out to me. But when people come to me with hurts and problems or when I find out about them and I know that people are hurting, I get frustrated because I feel like sometimes... <laughs> I don't know how to help. You know, I, I want to make the circumstances go away. 
uh, if I could, or at least I want to, you know, magically, you know, give you a verse and you walk out and, and everything's going to be okay. And I get very frustrated sometimes at, um, I, I forget the idea that God many times speaks to the storm in our lives and quiets it. But probably more often, he does not speak to the storm and bring peace to the storm. He speaks to us and brings peace to us. And that whole idea of trying to help folks face the storms of this life and find peace in it uh, has been a burden on my heart because, you know, hey, how, what, what can I give somebody? How can I help them with, with what is going on? You know, where's the truth of God's Word coming in there? So we are actually, during the month of December, we are going to focus on the Prince of Peace. But I thought to set the stage for that, we're going to talk about Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, because we want to know it, who it is that we're trusting. So we're going to kind of exalt Him and study Him and, and uh, know who this person is in our life and then really focus on that idea of because we know Him, because we can trust Him, we can deal with this life with peace. I'm excited about it. Uh, oh, you know, I should say too, I just feel like I have to say this one time. I did not invent Pastor Appreciation Month, just so you know that. Uh, I'm not sure who did, and I did not even pick to actually uh, recognize it this year when we had five Sundays. I didn't do that. Uh, and if you're concerned, because, as you would have the right to be that, you know, oh, they're saying nice things about the pastor too much, you're right. And uh, don't worry, I know myself far too well to take it seriously, so, uh, so we're good with that. I just wanted to mention that uh, because I am weird. Okay, ready? Uh, let's go into, again, we're going to pick this up in the middle of Revelation chapter 19. Uh, last week we talked about the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to go on from there. Now, this passage that we're going to read, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but sometimes I talk quickly. Okay, I, mean, I wrote on my notes this time, as we read the Scripture, slow. I have this on my notes twice. I'm supposed to slow down. The reason for that is because this passage of Scripture, I, don't, I really don't want, I don't want us to ever do this, but really don't want you to be like, okay, blah, 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 he's reading the Scripture now. We'll talk. You know, I don't want you to be that way. I want you to really kind of dive into this with me and just read this and experience what it's talking about as far as Jesus' return. Okay, you ready? So you focus now. You're not going to wait till after we're done reading the Scripture. You're ready to go. When I saw heaven open, remember John the Revelator writing this, and behold a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and, his right, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like the flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, many crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in white robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen also on white horses pure, were following him on these white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh is the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I would like to get you to notice with me a couple things in that passage that we just read about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and about his victory. What armor does it describe that he's wearing? Not really any, except that he is wearing the robes of righteousness. He is clothed in righteousness. What weapon is he brandishing? Uh, nuclear weapons, 
whatever like that. What is it that comes from his mouth? The sword, which is the word of God. I don't, you know, we talk about the battle of Armageddon and on Jesus' return, there's going to be a great battle. But actually, as you read this, I don't see much of a battle. Do you know what happens? The king of kings speaks and the battle's over. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I, at this point, and with everything that we've read through, I, I wanted to say, you know, just about this day in general, what's taken place uh, last uh, Sunday. Um, I had a little bit of work I had to do on my cars. I kind of put off, and I had to do something in the afternoon. So I went out in the garage, but I'm a big NFL fan. So I, I got my computer, and I locked into my favorite team's game, uh, the local broadcast of it. My favorite team is having a rough year. <laughs> Some of you, we won't mention the Pittsburgh Steelers, but they're having a really rough year. And uh, so, But I, I'm still a faithful fan, so I'm going to listen to it. And I had it on and off, and I kept losing the signal and having to go back into the house and reconnect and then come back out to the garage and listen to it but we got towards the end of the game and this is a team that they won their first game barely on the last play of overtime then they lost four in a row and then last week they were uh playing the Buccaneers Tom Brady who has beat them so many times I can't even count uh but uh they're they're playing them and I lost the signal and it came back in just about the time and the announcer the Pittsburgh announcer was so excited. I thought, what's going on here? He said, this is wonderful. I can't believe this is happening. Uh, at the end of the game, they had got to the place where, and some of you that follow football, you know what I'm talking about here, they got to the place where the quarterback wasn't really trying to do anything. He's just taking the snap, and they surround him with some big guys to block, and they put a fast guy behind him in case something goes wrong and he can chase it down. Uh, and they get in that lineup. Does anybody remember what that lineup is called? They call that the... Victory formation, okay? The victory formation at the end. So I'm listening there. He said, this is great. We haven't been in the victory formation all year. Uh, he said, this is so wonderful, and he's so excited, and I was pumped, and I went in to tell my wife, and she could have cared less, but, uh, you know, but, but, you know, but the victory formation, finally. We have been going through the book of Revelation, and today, folks, listen, we're in the victory formation. The king of kings, we're reading about his return, we're reading about him coming, his only weapon, the word of his mouth, okay, his only armor, he comes in righteousness and truth, and you know, that's what we experience here, and that's what we see, and one of the things that uh, uh, we, we understand and the application that we bring to our life about this is this idea that that victory comes through the word of God, okay, hold on to that idea as we move forward. Before we leave chapter 19, I want to mention that the next section of chapter 19, right after what we just read there, goes in and talks about a, another meal. Remember last week we talked about the marriage supper of the Lamb, the third one on there. This, this talked about, and the Bible actually calls it the great supper of God. Now I want to explain just real quickly. In uh, the New Testament, there is a first supper that Jesus used in a par parable where he talked about a supper that we're invited to, that, and he used it as an illustration of salvation. He said, you are invited to come and dine and sup with me. Okay, And then for those who have received that invitation and who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, he also introduced this idea that we practice in church, what we call the Lord's Supper, where we remember that God broke his, had his body broken for us, and we remember that his blood was shed for us. 
Uh, and then what we looked at last week was that marriage supper of the Lamb. And I get so excited about that whole idea because it, it, even talking about last week, it brought so much into focus for me uh, because uh, this idea that we are espoused to him already. The Apostle Paul wrote that. He said, you're already a spouse. It's a done deal. The only thing is, and this is the way marriage was done back then, where they would be espoused uh, so that they were officially married, but the wife was still returning to her own home, to her parents' home, if you will, until the day of the marriage when the bridegroom would come and take her back to live with him. And that's where we are in life right now, where if we've trusted in Jesus Christ, that's a done deal. Okay, eternal life has been given to us. That's a done deal. But we wait until that day. You know, why then is life so hard? Very simply because we're waiting to that day when the bride uh, groom will come and take his bride, who are the believers in Jesus Christ, back to be with him. Sorry, I had to re-preach that from last week because I had so much fun uh, with the idea of the marriage supper of the Lamb. But what happens here in chapter 19, then it goes on and it describes this great supper of God, which is actually... God, I, don't, I couldn't figure out a, a kinder way to say this or a less, but it is God feasting on his enemies, okay? Now, if I have received that invitation to the supper of salvation, then I am supposed to, as a believer in Christ, gather together with other believers and take the Lord's Supper to remember what he's done. And then I'm looking forward to him coming back uh, and the great uh, marriage supper of the Lamb and him living with him forever in that way. But if I have not received that gift of salvation, the Bible then also tells what goes on there as far as this great supper of God. Now, if we continue on, and I said we kind of got the foot on the accelerator today, and we move into uh, chapter 20, we find that he, uh, uh, God is going to seize the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and is going to bind him for a thousand years and throw him into the pit and shut it and seal it over him so that he might not, what is it that Satan always does? Deceive so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years has ended, and after that he will be released for a little while. Now let me jump ahead to um, where the, the Bible describes here that this is a thousand-year time on earth of Christ's reign. We will reign with him, known as the millennium. And then the devil, who is deceived, was thrown into, um, I'm sorry, who had deceived. Remember we said he is captured. He's held by a chain here for a thousand years. By the way, it's kind of cool. When uh, Satan tried to hold Jesus Christ with death in a grave, he failed miserably. But God doesn't have any trouble holding Satan. Uh, he holds him for a thousand years, but then he is released to deceive again. And then after that, he is thrown into that bottomless pit. Now, before I want to try to answer a question that popped into my mind, or at least address a question that popped into my mind. Before I do that, though, I want to go back to a couple things we've talked about, okay? When Jesus returns, what's his weapon? The Word, the sword, the Word. That's right. What is Satan's main thing that he is always doing? Deceiving. He is spreading lies all the time. Now, this brings me to a second point of pastoral frustration, if I could say it like that. You know, another word that uh, they say for pastor in, in Scripture is the word shepherd. 
And one of the things about being a shepherd is the shepherd often has to deal with those who are stragglers, those who are wandering away, those who are sick. Okay, that's part of the whole gig. I get that. But what frustrates me sometimes is I feel like I am failing because my passion, and I think what my passion should be, is to get you all as much as I can grounded in the truth of the Word of God. Because our enemy always deceives. That's what he does. That's his thing. Okay, when he's locked up, he can't deceive anymore. And when he gets out, I'm going to deceive again. That's what I do. Okay, that's, that's, my, that's, my, thing. that's, my, that's my role, man. That's, that's what I do. And what, are the, what is the weaponry that we're given against that is, is the truth of the Word of God. And, and I have to say very plainly, I cannot, I cannot in 30 minutes a week, best case scenario, if, if you make it every, every week, I cannot get people grounded in the truth of the Word of God. Okay? I'm going to do my dead level best. I mean, honestly, I'm going to try. I'm going to try to do the best I can, but that's about how long I can talk to you before I bore myself. Uh, so, you know, that's about how long we go as far as the sermon goes on Sunday mornings, and I cannot do that, and I have got to keep jumping up and down. And we started this year saying, hey, we want to try to get you in the Word of God daily. We're going we're gonna to do that. We're going to end this year saying that, and we're going to start next year saying the same thing. I need, it, it, it is such a battle because that's where it's being fought. Satan doesn't want you in the Word of God. The Word of God defeats him. He knows it. Okay, so somebody said when Satan reminds you of the past, remind him of his future. Hey, the future is Jesus is going to speak, and you're going to be bound. For some reason, you get out after a 1,000 years, but then you're going to be bound again, and then it's permanent there. Okay? So hold on to that. Now, I did want to mention this whole idea. When I read this, I thought, okay, why does he get out after a 1,000 years? And I dug into it, and I want to tell you, again, just try to be very honest with me, I dug into it for a couple hours trying to find out an answer that I thought, oh, yeah, that's good. I never really found a great one. And it reminded me again is, I don't know why God does everything he does. <laughs> very simply, and I don't have to. Uh, now, there's a couple things we see in all this happening. We see the character of man that he goes back into uh, uh, doing wrong again, we definitely see the character of Satan as he gets out and he starts deceiving again, and we see the character of God in continuing to offer forgiveness and, and grace in, in that way, but I don't completely know why the timetable plays out like that, but I do know that in the end, he gets locked up for good, okay? Now, we're going to go ahead. I know, I know we're on fast forward here, so I have to slow up and take a breath here because what I want to do now is I want to go and I want to read a little bit about the establishment, okay? Jesus has come back. We have that millennial kingdom of a thousand years. Well, I want to read a little bit what the scripture tells us then about the new heaven and the new earth, okay, the, the, as we go into eternity. So let's, uh, let's again try to get Pastor Dan to slow down just a little bit. As we look at heaven, I want you to keep in mind that we're going to, as we look at eternity, we're going to see some things that are strangely familiar and some things that are wonderfully different. If you could lock that phrase into your head there for a little bit there. And John wrote and he said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth have passed away, okay, and the sea was no more. Come back to that idea in a, in a couple minutes here. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven. Uh, uh, sorry, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Okay, we have the new Jerusalem coming. Jerusalem has always been the place of meeting with God. Keep that in mind. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
Folks, think about that for a second. We're going we're gonna to elaborate a little bit, but the dwelling place of God is now with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, crying, or pain anymore, for the former things of this earth have passed away. That's just, that's just kind of fun to read. You might want to go back and read that again. Uh, chapter 21 at the beginning. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give the spring of water of life without payment. It's free. And the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And we want to go back and talk about this a little bit more. Let's jump over to 22 and read a little, uh, a little bit more about this new heaven and new earth before we do. And the angel showed me a river of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the, of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. No longer... <laughs> Hold on a second. I hope you're thinking about these words. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And, uh, and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. And they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. There will be no need of light, a lamp, or the sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. I think probably I could have just read that. We could have had a pretty good time. Uh, reading about eternity as far as that goes. There are so many things, you know, when we talk about deception and we talk about lies, there are so many goofy pictures that we have of heaven. Okay, a lot of them, studying this this week, a lot of them come from cartoons. Did you know that? A lot of people's vision comes from cartoons. You know, the coyote gets smashed and he's floating up into heaven on a cloud or, or whatever like that. But people have, and they really think, yeah, that's what you do. You float in in. Uh, on a cloud when you go to heaven. That's, that's what it must be like. Or we see the devil sitting on his throne. I mentioned that before. The devil ain't going to be on no throne in heaven. Okay? I'm sorry, in hell. Definitely not in heaven. Uh, not even in hell. Okay? He's not there to rule and reign. Okay? <laughs> I, got, I don't know if I have a lot of time for this. But they, they also said not only do you have uh, a lot of people's perception of heaven comes from cartoons. They said also from jokes. You know, people tell a lot of different jokes about heaven. I don't know if you have any particular favorites. <laughs> I have a couple real fast. Uh, have you ever heard the story about, you know, you're taking the tour of heaven, and there's a room that has everybody's name that you know back here on earth on a clock. They all have their own clock. Have you ever heard that? And uh, the clock, every time that person sins on earth, the, fa the hand goes faster and faster, so you have less time on earth because, like, you lose your life. So uh, I'm looking around this room in heaven, and, and I see, you know, a clock for Dave, and I see a clock for John, and I don't see a clock for Jim. I'm like, where's Jim's clock? And they say, oh, we use that for a fan in the other room. Uh, it's fine right here. I, I always like that one. Uh, the, <laughs> the other one I personally liked all, all the time is, you know, I get to heaven, and I show up there, and St. Peter says, ah, oh, you just barely made it. You're in, but you're just barely in it. Your punishment is, and he brings out this super ugly woman. 
Sorry, I know it's probably completely incorrect to say that. Uh, but that's what he does. He says, you, you're here, and you get to go around heaven, but you've got to spend all of eternity with this woman at your side. Just this super ugly woman. So I, I figure, hey, I'm in. It's all right. I can live with it. Uh, you know, so I'm walking down the street in heaven, you know, looking around and everything like that. And, and sure enough, I look over there, and I see John Miscavige. And he has this beautiful woman uh, beside him. I mean, he's walking down there. I'm like, I don't, what is the deal? Uh, so I go to the complaint department, which, of course, heaven has. And, uh, and I say, hey, I get that I didn't deserve anything too special or anything like that. I get what I got. But what's the deal with Miscavige walking around with this beautiful woman on his arm? And uh, St. Peter says, oh, that's her punishment. But anyway, uh, <laughs> now, sorry, had to do that. Now, the point, however, of the heaven jokes is they're not right, okay? They give us totally wrong perception about what heaven is like. Whether it is St. Peter, I oh, just barely made it. Hey, I'm not just barely going to make it. I got the righteousness of Jesus Christ, okay? I'm good. Uh, and and we're, we're, all, we're all good there. And, you know, again, we get this picture of, you know, either you go down and it, it's hot, and, but you're with your friends, or you uh, go up and you're floating around on a cloud. That's why I want to say, as we look at heaven uh, and see what it says here about this new heaven and new earth that he established, I want us to understand that there is an idea that it is strangely familiar. I want your perception of heaven to be rooted in something that is tangible, that it is not, oh, what am I looking forward to, floating around in a cloud? You know, is that, is that what it's going to be like? And as we read through those passages that describe it, we find that it is a very real place, Okay, it's a real place where we live. There is life there, life that we've never known before. There are real people that we'll experience. You might be thinking, well, all right, like people. I was kind of hoping they wouldn't be around. We'll talk about that. That's going to change a little bit as, how, as far as we look. But there will be real people that we know and we talk to. There will be life, okay? And there will be, and this is the main thing, and we're going to come back and develop, there will be a real presence of God there. So it's going to be real in that way. I'm going to, because, because of time, uh, skip over this for just a second. Uh, there are four gifts of the garden that uh, man received. Every one of these will be vastly improved in the new heaven and new earth. In other words, I believe that the redeemed earth will be even better than the original innocent earth, if you want to say it like that. Uh, in the garden, they had a home, but then they were, of course, kicked out and had to find a new home because of sin. In eternity, we will have a home, and if you go back and read that description there of this life that we'll have in him, it is a life that cannot be experienced in a world that is broken by sin, okay? It is a life beyond our comprehension as far as the life that we will know. Uh, work, you say there's still going to be work in heaven. Definitely, there was work before the fall. It was a gift to mankind, but there will not be toil. In other words, it will not be a pain. Uh, in other words, you will love to do it. Will you serve God? Most definitely you'll serve God. We've read that in the past. They are serving Him all the time. They are praising. Uh, it would be a wonderful thing. It will be in some ways strangely familiar. It will be life as we know it, but it will be beyond what we can comprehend. Companionship, uh, think about how flawed that is because of the fall. And, and so many of us think right away. In fact, we even think that about church. <laughs> I like church, except for the people. Uh, you know, be, and people are flawed, and people are messed up, and we have drama, drama about things that there shouldn't be, and we have lack of forgiveness, and we have heartache, and we have pain that comes because of these companionships. But in this new earth, that will not be the case. For that sinfulness, all that corruption, remember we read that, is gone. 
okay? And we can really experience relationships. In fact, the Scripture goes through, and in a passage I did not read, it talked about the gates of, of this new kingdom being open on all four sides, and it represents that beautiful picture, you know, where on this earth we're all like, oh, we have to have diversity, and uh, there we're going to have it. Okay, we're going to have it completely. Everybody from every culture united together and our sinfulness is not there anymore. Our evilness, our jealousy and everything like else is not any there. This is a beautiful picture of the companionship that we will have and that we will know in heaven. But I accelerate a little bit on purpose because I wanted to get to this last one because I think that sometimes we miss the idea that the best thing about heaven is the presence of God. Let me show you this here. Chapter 21, verse 22, kind of sums it up when it says this. As I looked and I saw this, I saw no temple in the city. Okay, what had the temple always been? Place where you go to meet God, right? I saw no temple. Why? For his temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. There's not going to be a specific place. We've got to go to meet him. But we will be with him. That's, to me, you know, sometimes we get excited about, um, you know, well, I'm going to get to see so-and-so when I get to heaven, and well, well we should, or well, we should. That's, that's a good thing. But more than anything, the presence of Jesus Christ is what is going to make heaven heaven. That's the greatest wonderful difference about heaven. Amazing. I was still on page one of my notes. I was talking on page two, but I was still on page one of my notes. The, uh, this new Jerusalem, which Jerusalem, again, had always been the meeting place here, is, uh, has become the Holy of Holies, where we will all meet with Him, where we will all experience knowing Him. You know, that one verse we read in there said there will be no sea. Somebody said one time, no sea, I love the ocean, won't there be an ocean in heaven? Well, some would say that's figurative because the sea was a picture of danger and heartache, and that'll be gone. Uh, but I kind of take it as literal, but I still, it won't matter. It won't matter. Our thinking is going to be totally different as far as that goes, and we'll have the river of life, and we'll have Jesus, and we'll have companionship with people of every tribe, religion, race that, uh, that, you, that has ever existed in Jesus Christ. And they won't you know, we, we talk now about the idea that uh, spiritually, if you will, I have been made righteous. At that point, I will be made righteous physically also. In other words, I will not be fouling things up anymore. And we will enjoy that, and we will experience it, that. That is some seriously good stuff. I want to show you one other verse here uh, from the very end of Revelation as we get ready to wrap it up here. The Spirit and the Bride, the Spirit of God, the Bride of Christ... Uh, which are the believers, say, come. And let one who hears say, come. And let the one who's thirsty, come. And let the one who desires take of the water of life without price. So as we get ready to wrap up here in the book of Revelation, what does God do again? He gives his invitation. He says, the Spirit of God, says, come, draws you to him to Turn from your sin, turn from your own ways of trying to get to heaven, and trust in the finished work that Jesus Christ did and say that is the only hope that I have is what Jesus did on the cross the bride is saying come 
And there are people now in your life that are praying for you, that care about you, part of the believers in Christ that love you, and they want to offer that invitation to come. So, this book begins with God speaking and establishing this earth, creating this earth. But in a, in a real sense, I, I can't do that great. I was trying this this morning, and I was trying to make this kind of loop around. Because in a real sense, it does kind of bring it back around to it begins with God speaking and establishing earth. It ends with God speaking and establishing the new heaven and the new earth. It begins with man being exiled from the garden to live uh, in a fallen world. And it ends with man being redeemed from that fallen world and brought back into the presence of God. I cannot uh, play in any way, and I, and I don't desire to even try to play Holy Spirit with you all, meaning that I'm not, hey, here's what God wants you to hear today. I, I don't know that. Uh, my job is to present the truth as best I can and ask you, you know, even, even now to pray, Lord, why, you know, what's in this for me? But I, I did want to share as I've gone through the book of Revelation, what God has done mostly in my life through this, okay? And not exclusively. This isn't the only thing. When I first started uh, this, the series, I remember seeing a series of sermons called Emboldened Believers. And they're just saying that uh, through the book of Revelation, uh, this particular author and this particular pastor said that that is the main thing that God wants to accomplish is that um, believers will be emboldened. And I thought about that. If we could take this phrase, and this is something that God has impressed so much on my heart, fear not tomorrow, for tomorrow is one. Fear not tomorrow, tomorrow is already one. I've read the back of the book. And that, I mean, truth, uh, what we got, two weeks from Tuesday, we got some elections. Okay, And there are some people who think, oh, man, it's going to be really good or it's really going to be bad. i got news for you, and I don't mean to minimize the importance of voting. I, I'm not doing that at all. But can I tell you something? Based on history and future, you're going to be disappointed one way or another because our answer is not in that. Somewhere, ultimately, you're going to be disappointed. Either the wrong person is going to win or the right person is going to win, and somehow you're still going to be disappointed with the way things play out or, or, or whatever that's going to happen. And sometimes we look at this earth and we say, oh, it's so bad. You know, where it was going to get any better? And, and I've, I've caught myself doing that a little bit. I, that's probably an old guy thing, isn't it? You know, old guy thing, you know, like, what's this life going to be like for my children and my grandchildren? You know, that, that type of thing. I pro probably got stuck in that a little bit. But then there becomes a fear of the future. But as I've gone through Revelation, basically what God has said to me is, hey, bottom line is, I got this. Don't fear the future. It's already been won. But what if things get worse? Yeah, you could probably expect that at some point or another. They're going to get worse. Read about it. But at the same time, we have the God of all peace that has promised that I will be with you. So I am emboldened to, uh, to say, come what may. Come what may. I know how this whole thing ends. Okay, I know how it all, pl 
plays out. And hopefully there's another area where we will also become emboldened. And that is the idea that as we realize the insignificance, the shortness, the brevity of the life on this earth and the greatness of eternity, we begin to more and more live in light of eternity. And especially when it comes to being that voice of the bride that says, come to Jesus Christ. And we're inviting others to him because what really matters? And uh, Revelation has helped to sharpen my focus on that. I don't know if that's the, uh, if that's the same thing you would say, uh, but I do ask you again just to say, God, what, what would you have me to take away from this book that you uh, placed in your word and placed kind of the final words uh, in there like, like that? I'm going to ask, and uh, we're going to sing... Kind of play it around a little bit. You know, sometimes at the end I like to have uh, Trent and uh, Adam can come back up. Um, sometimes, kind of, oh, you need to have something. Puts a little zippity doo dah. Uh, uh, you know, my fear doesn't stand a chance. Uh, we got we got to go with that. But we're going to go back instead, and we're going to sing that Psalm 90, which is the second song we we sang, which is a very reflective, slow song. But uh, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 90, and he talked about just the idea of being satisfied in Him being satisfied in Him. And my prayer uh, has, has really been that we would find that peace in Him, that we would anchor down in His truth when our enemy keeps telling us lies, that we would know the truth. And uh, so, I, so I hope that we could take this little time uh, as we sing this one more time just to focus on Him and anchor down in Him a little bit. When the sun comes up, I want to be satisfied in you. I want to be satisfied in you, Jesus Christ. Yeah, the world, storms are going to keep blowing. I want to be satisfied in you. Let's stand together and sing that before we leave. Apostle Paul described our journey here on earth as a battle, a spiritual battle. There's warfare going on. We know our enemy's weapon. He's going to lie to us like crazy. May God help us to identify those lies that he speaks into our life, lies about us, lies about God. And may God help us to replace those lies with tr the truth of his word and therefore being anchored in him and be truly satisfied in Jesus Christ that we're ready for this journey. All right? You are dismissed. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email info at edwardsburg.church or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.